This is the Glasses by Day Geek by Night podcast, episode 10. I'm Matt, and today I'm going to be reviewing and moaning about some geeky stuff. On today's show, I'll be talking about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, Robert Kirkman and Invincible Season 2, Ahsoka and all its amazingness, and the comic to read before you die today is Ultimate Comics Ultimatum. So, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom shot out a new trailer. What can I really say about the trailer? It, it looked okay. Trailer-wise, had everything you want, action, bit of comedy, probably more comedy than we needed, I get that. I feel like it's it's trying its best to tap into the Thor, Tiki, where we're Tiki side of films, which worked, worked for Ragnarok, but not so much for Love and Thunder, so let's hope it's a Ragnarok, not a Love and Thunder. Um, I have no doubt Jason Momoa will be awesome in it, but I feel like the idea of a film happening in an already dead universe is trivial and maybe misguided at best. I have gone over this a lot in recent weeks about the universe colour James Gunn and that he seems to be just destroying everything that we've all you know come to actually enjoy about the universe. Uh, he's put a lot of stock in the fact that Blue Beetle is going to survive the universe destruction, but the film... Only it only made 114.9 million dollars worldwide, and it had a budget of 104 million. So it's what made like 10 million. That that's that's a huge flop. The film is a flop, and it's not even the worst flop to come out of DC in previous years. So Shazam: Fury of the Gods turned out to turned out worse than that. But let's be honest, I feel like both films have been let down by the lack of enthusiasm by the studio to keep the universe alive. So. <sighs> Aquaman who could possibly have the same outcome, who knows. So Jason Momoa's Aquaman is more than likely going to receive the same fate as Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot and Ben Affleck. All have proven they can do their characters justice, but all have been taken out. It wouldn't surprise me if Gunn, after the film comes out, tells him he's good for another three films, and then lets him announce it on social media, then says, I never said that. Henry Cavill announced that he was still Superman. Then Gunn and the studio said that they never said it. I very much doubt that Cavill would come out and put a big press release kind of thing out and say, yeah, I'm still Superman. And he left The Witcher. And I get that he had creative differences with them. But I reckon he probably would have made them work if he knew that he wasn't going to get the Superman role. I kind of feel like they screwed him over slightly. Gal Gadot's done the same. She's been in the same situation a month or so back. Then um, she announced that Wonder Woman 3 was in the works. And then Gunn and the studio shot it down like they'd never said it. So has she got the wrong end of the stick? Has Cavill got the wrong end of the stick? I, I doubt that's the case. I just can't see it. So realistically, it can't be the actors just saying this stuff. It has to come from somewhere. So Amber Heard's part in Aquaman 2 has been reduced to maybe a quick second in the trailer. Whether she appears more in the film remains to be seen. Um, I get that the cast stood with her and there's two sides to every story. And no doubt both her and Depp are hard to live with. But I kind of feel like that said, the studio are either thinking completely reduce her down to how much screen time she has. And ultimately kill her off or pretend to reduce her screen time down. So that people actually go and see the film and then go, ha, she's in loads of it. I don't know. One thing I would say is that the director has basically said that the first film was supposed to be a love story between um, Arthur and Mira. And then this second, so it was supposed to be a romance. And then this, this second film allegedly was never supposed to have much of Mira in in the first place. But was supposed to be a bromance between Arthur and Orm. 
which, you know, it looks good, don't get me wrong, I kind of like that aspect of it, but I kind of feel like, was that where they were going with it, or if they'd done, like, serious reshoots to make this work, I have no idea, so, it could go either way, um, realistically, Ezra Miller, with all of his legal dramas, was still able to continue in the main role as the Flash, mainly because the film was basically completed and ready to use, and he was the title character. That said again, Heard had completely, yeah, she completed filming, and now they've changed things up. So the studio needs to set a precedent when dealing with problem actors, and not just discriminate because the character in question isn't the title character. Um, you know, I kind of feel like if Ezra Ezra Miller, he's a, you know, he was a fiend. He was... (laughs) There's, there's quite a few things out there about him, and yet he's basically got away with the studio scot-free. Yeah, made the money on the film. Yeah, not that much money, obviously, because I can't see it. Actually, it didn't do very well either, but you get what I'm trying to say. I kind of feel like I don't, I'm don't. i not taking sides, but I kind of think Head, Amber Head, was, she's been pigeonholed a little bit. Um, yeah, like I said, the studio needs to set a precedent with dealing problem like this. I'm liking the fact that they're bringing Orm back. Patrick Wilson plays a dick older brother to perfection. I think he's great in it. You've got um, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Um, you're prizing his role as Black Manta, and he's out for revenge. Um, I wasn't that keen. I liked his Black Manta. I wasn't that keen on him, you know, without the mask or anything like that, but I can get on board. You've got um, Tamura Morrison uh, reprising his role as Tom Curry. I feel like that guy's turning up in more things now than when he was young. You've got Nicole Kidman is back as Arthur's mum. William Defoe is his trusted ally. Affleck apparently shows up, which, like I've said, seems a bit redundant at this point. I feel like that. Uh, the, he, he was definitely in, in. He was definitely in scenes before the Flash came out, and then he was used in the Flash. And I think there was a bit of confusion about whether or not Aquaman two was going to come out first, or if the Flash was going to come out first. So I get that he was like, yeah, he was obviously filmed first with Aquaman, but obviously Flash has come out, messed all that up, and now he's probably not going to show up in it, which I think is probably for the best. So, there's probably going to be, after the theatrical version comes out, there'll probably be deleted scenes that will turn up on the internet, which should have Affleck in it. The cast should prove this film is going to be great, but I have very low hopes for the film. And we'll probably wait for it to come out in Sky Cinema, which I get is the problem with superhero films dying out at the moment, that no one goes to the pictures to see them. But the DC Cinematic Universe is dead now for me, you know. I don't see how Blue Beetle can be the one to bring it back. And I can't see how Aquaman is going to survive the call. So let's see what Gunn can do now with the next incarnation of the universe. Robert Kirkman has created some of the greatest comics over the years for me. So you've got The Walking Dead, which was one of the greatest comics and became a great, amazing series. Um, Invincible is set to be a great animated series. So the first series played out exactly how it's supposed to, with Mark Grayson, aka Invincible, fighting his dad Nolan, aka Omni Man, who was who at one point was the strongest hero on the planet. Nolan has been harboring a dark secret since he came to Earth, and he was sent there to get it ready for uh, for his race, the Viltrumites, to take over. So it's kind of got it's in my eyes. I kind of feel like it's a it's a mix between. Um, 
Dragon Ball Z, Goku coming to the planet to, or Dragon Ball even, Goku coming to the planet to um, get it ready so that the Saiyans can take over, and it's got a bit of a Superman feel because he, you know, he's super strong. He can fly. He's basically invulnerable. It's it's a mix between the two, but instead of him, you know, taking all the human side into it, Nolan still, you know, is loyal to the Empire basically, so he, he won't, you know. He won't betray the Empire. So he's been harboring this dark secret. And he's... You know... Now it's, now that Mark has his powers... He's going to you know ask him to join him. Mark won't. So they have this huge fight. He's about to kill Mark. And he can't do it. He has a crisis of conscience. And leaves the Earth. So... Uh, I've, I've mentioned Invincible pre, in previous episodes. And if you've listened to any of them... You know how much I rate and love the comic series... Has great characters, amazing stories, parody teams such as the Justice League. Well, they're not the Justice League. They're the Guardians of the Globe. And they get wiped out towards the beginning of the first series by Omni-Man. Invincible is from one of those comics that I've mentioned that you must read before you die. If you love the TV series, you should definitely read the books. So it's a bit of a pump again for um, Invincible. So Kirkman has promised that season two will feel much bigger than season one. And for me, knowing that the second volume of the Ultimate Editions, which I've read of Invincible, were much bigger in storylines than the first, I can see where he's going with season two. If, like me, you've read the books, um, then you know Angstrom Levy is just the beginning of Mark's big bads. So Angstrom Levy is set to be the, the main villain of season two. Well, I say main villain, he's, he's, one of, he's one of the antagonists, definitely. So you've got Viltrumite's Conquest in particular is coming. So if you've read the comics, Conquest, to me, is one of the best villains in it. And it's definitely one of the best fights. So I thought that they upped their game with Mark and his dad fighting in the in the yeah in the cartoon, whereas in the comic it was an awesome fight. But I feel like the stuff they did in the in the cartoon it it was really good. So I'm hoping that they go somewhere like that with you know with the cartoon for Conquest because Conquest. If it's not a good fight scene, I'm, I'm just going to quit the series altogether. So, <laughs> season two promises other universes, which are a big, you know, they're huge at the moment. I feel like every comic book film series is it, they, they're doing alternate universes at the moment. We've got alternate versions of Mark. You've got Viltrumites, coalitions of planet, coalition of planets. So that's all these planets coming out together against Viltrumites and lots of beatdowns. Hopefully we get rid of Amber this series because she's much less annoying in the comics and she's barely a side note in Mark's history realistically because she was literally a filler girlfriend and I don't want to say it like that but I kind of feel like they, they, they've they changed it to add a bit of diversity to the, you know, to the series and I get it probably needed it because it was wrote, wrote a while back where, it, you know, before, you know, diversity was as big you know was talked about as much so i think amber was one of those characters that they could just take and they they could change her completely they could change her character they could change her ethnicity and it wouldn't have mattered but it she just annoys me she's just like she just needs to get a grip and stop talking all the time i just kind of feel like just stop you know i feel like she's really one of the most annoying things in it because i feel like as someone who knows that Mark is going to end up with Eve, 
she bugs me because I kind of feel like she she's getting more screen time because they're trying to be as you know diverse as possible. And nah, so hopefully they you know if they do keep her around, she'll get less annoying and actually contribute to helping Mark rather than making him. You know, I feel like they're gonna she's gonna make him feel guilty for being invincible. So the comics are much more set. F- from the off that Mark and Eve are meant to end up together, which hopefully will happen because, in my eyes, that has to happen. And it won't be changed to modernise the story, which, you know, we do with everything. I get that. I get that things can't stay exactly the same as they did in the the comics or the source material because some things are better for the story, better for TV. But I, I really think that they shouldn't change this. Nolan's story is one that I'm particularly looking forward to, and it promises to be a good watch. So it leads Mark off the planet. Um, he goes to visit his dad. He has a, gets a baby brother out of it. Do you know what I mean? And the, the brother ends up having a decent role in the series, or he does in the comics anyway. Um, the amount of voice talent that the series had to begin with was insane, but season two has got tons more. And I look forward to seeing what the season holds and wait patiently for the blood and gore that is Conquest. So if Robert Kirkman is to be you know, believed, season two is going to be much bigger than season one. So let's hope that it doesn't let us down. Ahsoka, what can I say? It's been great from episode one. The storytelling in the series has been amazing. I know that there hasn't been there, that there was a lot of bother with the people who... Yeah, they haven't watched Rebels, you know, on the internet, and they didn't know the characters or what had occurred. I was in the same boat to a certain extent, so I watched the first episode, having just enough knowledge of the characters from Rebels that it, it didn't bother me too much. For my own peace of mind, I googled the key episodes to watch from Rebels and got them watched. There ain't that many of them. Um, what I will say is, though, I started watching Rebels, especially the final series when I got to it and I kind of watched it all the way through because in my eyes it got pretty good so it it might be worth watching at all if you're really that bothered by it so I'm not saying that Rebels was brilliant all the way through but the episodes I've watched were great Um, the characters uh, have been using Ahsoka for a reason and that's because they are great characters you've got Sabine Wren she's a Mandalorian um, who we know from the first episode was trained by Ahsoka in the ways of the Force. She is from Rebels. She has absolutely no talent in the Force, but she can wield a lightsaber like any swordsman. Um, we have General Hera Sandula, um, who is also from Rebels, and she was romantically involved with someone from Rebels, who was a Jedi who escaped from the Jedi Temple during Order 66, Kanan Jarrus. Uh, Kanan died in the last season of Rebels, but not before fathering a child with Hera. Their child is Jason, and he's Force-sensitive, and he's he's there as well, alright? So, uh, the series is focused around a plot to bring back, bring back Grand Admiral For- Thrawn. Can't get my words up. Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is the Rebels' villain. Uh, Thrawn was taken to the other side of the universe by Ezra Bridger, a Jedi who was from Rebels. Ezra is able to use the Force to communicate with space whales, who can jump to light speed and travel across galaxies, so... The whales turn up, they grab the fleet, and Ezra takes them to the other side of the universe. Um, the story follows the good guys, so Ahsoka, Ren, all them, trying to beat the bad guys to the map initially um, that will lead them to Thrawn. Um, then to the other side of the universe to stop the Thrawn, you know, stop 
you know the bad guys from helping throw and return the story has been great none more so than the most recent episodes uh the episodes focus around the world between worlds which um you know we've seen in episode four right at the end i'm not going to go too much into episode five because it's still probably within spoiler distance so the world between worlds um is in the last series of um, rebels and is a plane within the uh, within the force that served as a collection of doorways and pathways between time and space it's uh it links the moments together so at the end of episode four um we see Ahsoka meeting her old master, Anakin Skywalker, who's now a Force ghost. I won't give much away, but for those who haven't watched the latest... I won't give much away because I know, spoilers, they, they do my head in. So, but it is by far the best episode of the series so far. So, in Rebels, when we see the World Between Worlds, Ezra has entered the World Between Worlds through a temple. Um, the Emperor wants it for himself... Ezra gets in and he ends up looking through a portal and he can see um, Ahsoka fighting Darth Vader in um, a Sith temple. And just before she's about to get killed, Ezra pulls her through the gateway. So the only reason why Ahsoka is alive to tell you know, to be in this series now is because Ezra pulled her through into the World Between Worlds. Um, she eventually returns to that moment and you know, Vader's gone and all this, but you know, at the end of the day, it you know it's pretty much on par with exactly what you expected the world to well between worlds to look like from animated to live action. I think it was a great idea to bring it in. It was also a great idea to you know use you know I don't want to give too much away, but the the episode that we do it does have some flashbacks. It does put Ahsoka maybe slightly younger you know um the anakin moments in it are brilliant as well i think um uh, hidden christensen he does play a decent role in it and actually looks like he wants to be there so um as someone who uh went to birmingham comic con not long back and he, he didn't even come out and do a talk or anything like that uh i can say i at least he's better in these shows than he is in person um I feel like the storytelling is great and could teach the butchers who are involved in the sequels a thing or two. Uh, the only issue I had with the episode that there wasn't more world between worlds in it. I literally could have watched the whole episode of Ahsoka um, seeing and learning things about things that she wasn't part of, like Anakin's fall to the dark side or how he lost to Obi-Wan or parts of the Clone Wars, if you've ever watched the Clone Wars, where yeah, like they could have brought... you know the animation into live action i just kind of feel like seeing bits of that you know you could have retold some of clone wars by putting it into live action kind of stages um yeah what i like about the world between worlds is though that it can also be brought back in other other tv series and other films uh, what I like about Ahsoka in particular is that it has been firmly pushing towards moving out of the known galaxy, which, it, as far as I know, Star Wars has never done before. It's going to end up in new worlds, which is going to mean more Star Wars and completely different stories. It could bring in different Jedis, different orders, who knows. If you're still having issues with the characters, you know, the, the Rebels characters, and you, you want to do a little bit of a, a deep dive, um, I've got... Yeah, 
a deep dive into the backstory, I've got a list of seven core episodes to watch that may fill in some of the blanks to you. So you've got Clone Wars Season 5, Episode 20, episode 20 The Wrong Jedi. You've got Clone Wars Season 7, Episodes 9 to 12, The Siege of Mandalore arc, which is mentioned in Episode 5 of Ahsoka. Rebels Season 1, Episode 15, Fire Across the Galaxy. Rebels, Rebels Season 2, Episode 18, Shroud of Darkness. Rebels Season 2, Episodes 21 to 22, Twilight of the Apprentice. This one in particular is a great episode. This is where Ahsoka fights Vader. Uh, Rebels Season 4, Episode 13, A World Between Worlds. There you go, so there it is. Uh, Rebels Season 4, Episodes um, episode 15, Family Reunion and Farewell. That's where Ezra takes Thrawn to the other side of the universe. So, the essence of what the actual series is about. Uh, I would also watch the end of the Clone Clone Wars, as it's a great battle between Ahsoka and Maul. And I would also watch the whole last season of Rebels, as I really got into it while trying to watch the key episodes. So, Ahsoka all in all has been a great series thus far, and I hope it continues to be so. Today's comic to read before you die is Ultimate Comics Ultimatum. So I know I go on a lot about how good the Ultimate Universe was, but it truly was awesome. It it could and has just got away with so much more than the 616 Universe ever did. The series came out in 2009 and ran for five issues. It was written by the legend Jeff Loeb. So I've spoken about him before in one of the other comics to read before you die. It evades me which comic right at this point. But Jeff is responsible for the scripts of Teen Wolf um, with Michael J. Fox, Commando with Arnie. He's responsible for Heroes, which I've talked about as you know, a series that you should watch. And I've talked about the you know, the hero's powers. Um he wrote the script for he wrote the script for the Flash, which the film was scrapped. So who knows what could have been as the Flash film we got, minus Michael Keaton and Sasha Kelly was complete utter garbage. Uh, he wrote for Smallville. He's been executive vice president of Marvel Television. Um, he's responsible for pre Disney TV series, which I'd say were mostly successful. Um, so we're talking about the Netflix series, Agents of Shield, all that, all that stuff. All right, Legion, everything like that. Um, so I'd have to say, looking back at the list that I've just read out, I'm pretty sure I have talked about most of them in previous episodes, which tells me that Jeff Lowe was probably one of my favourite writers, whether I knew it or not. So Ultimatum is illustrated by David Finch, who is known for his work on Top Cow Productions and Cyberforce. And a lot of things Marvel and DC. The art lends itself nicely to the apocalyptic themes um, that are going on throughout the book. He, he's not my favourite artist, I, you know, but I think the art is great in the book. I think my only problem with some of the art is that um, there's not one ounce of fat on anyone. They're all ripped. Uh, I feel like half of them need to eat a cheeseburger or something and just cut out gym day. Um, but, you know, Great artist at the same time. He's won awards for it. So Loeb intended this to be the end of the first chapter of the Ultimate Universe. And it definitely was. In fact, I don't think the universe got any better than this moment. Other than the death of Spider-Man. Which I may have... You know, I've definitely talked about before. As one of the comics that you should read before you die. Which was written by another one of my favourite writers. Brian Michael Bendis. Um, a series of disasters ha- happen around the world. New York is hit with a tsunami, it's wiped out, thousands dead, a few X-Men dead with it, so Beast dies, Nightcrawler, Dazzler, all dead. 
Uh, it's like Loeb was given the go-ahead to do anything he wants. So the Fantastic Four don't fare too well. Um, Franklin Richards dies. Um, Johnny disappears for a while. Spider is finally seen as a hero. So he's he's on the he's on the L train as all this happens. Um, he's with Shadow Cat and his mates. Shadow Cat pulls him up through the roof and he goes off to help people. Um, he eventually comes across the uh, the Hulk and they both help the people out. You know, help the pedestrians get out of the way of the water and all that. Um, he ends up um, being caught in an explosion at Doctor Strange's house to Sanctum Santorum and is presumed dead. Uh, Mr. Fantastic blames Namor, as you would. Not only does the near-naked dude want your misses, but he is more than capable of causing a tsunami. Cap drowns. Uh, Iron Man brings out the body. Um, Thor... Brings him back to life by swapping places with him and staying in Valhalla. Uh, Wasp gets eaten by the blob, which is horrific. Latveria gets frozen, and it's all down to Magneto, who has reversed the, pol- the polarity of the poles. Um, he's seeking revenge for the Scarlet, Scarlet Witch's death. Uh, oh, by the way, there's some Lannister, Game of Thrones, Lannister type stuff going on between Wanda and Pietro, which is a bit weird. Um, Low cleans house at this point. Um, the multiple man blows up in the Houses of Parliament and attacks the Triskelion. Uh, Magneto kills Professor X. He snaps his neck. Uh, when all the heroes get together and they retaliate, several die. Angel gets his wings ripped off by Sabretooth. Sabretooth gets an arrow to the eye and blinded by um, Hawkeye. Wolverine gets ripped apart down to the atom by Magneto. And yeah, literally he's gone. He's just a skeleton. There's nothing left to put back together. Cyclops eventually delivers the killing blow to Magneto, blowing off his head. Cyclops doesn't get too much time in the hero spotlight when delivering a speech why mutants are cool and should be given a break. Um, Quicksilver throws a bullet at super speed through his head, killing him instantly. So the events of Ultimatum make the world an even worse place to be for a mutant, even more so than it was before. It's a great book with great killer visuals, other than everyone being ripped, obviously. This is definitely a book that you should all and should be on your list of comics to read before you die. I'm Matt, and this has been the Glossified Day Geek by Night podcast. Thanks for listening.